Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash ETU. This independent learning activity is funded by F. Hoffman LaRoche Limited. Thank you for tuning in today. My name is Dr. Brandon Sheffield. I'm a molecular and anatomic pathologist with the William Wosler Health System in Toronto area. And joining me today is Dr. Charlene Gill, who's a medical oncologist with the BC Cancer Agency in Vancouver. And we're going to be discussing today some of the merits of NGS testing or comprehensive genomic profiling. Traditionally, there have been a lot of barriers to accessing NGS, but it looks like a lot of those are coming down. Things like cost, availability, even tissue is no longer as much of an issue anymore since we have liquid biopsy that's available too. So what you knew about NGS last year is not necessarily true anymore. So we need to keep talking to the experts and make sure that these are offered to patients every chance we get. Charlene, I know you're just getting back from ESMO in Madrid. Were there any highlights there or any trials that you thought were relevant to biomarker practice for a pathologist? Thank you, Brandon. You know, when we think about how best to inform practice, we look for the evidence. And in the space of comprehensive genomic profiling, there was actually a very interesting study presented at ESMO this year called the Capisco trial, focusing on cancers of unknown primary, which we all treat as medical oncologists. So these are patients where you have metastatic disease identified and can't identify the primary. So Capisco was really interrogating an approach of a molecular targeted therapy versus what we commonly do, which is empiric chemo. All patients who were enrolled received comprehensive genomic profiling and started on induction chemotherapy. And then those patients who were non-progressing after an induction period, they were randomized three to one to proceed to a molecularly targeted approach based on their CGP versus continuation of chemotherapy, which would be the standard. What was really important was that they were able to demonstrate that that approach improved survival. The median progression-free survival was six months versus four months for patients who continued on with standard of care, highlighting the importance of trying to identify actionable targets. It's really interesting data, and I think that is practice changing for me as a pathologist, because if we are to get a biopsy of a patient who has a carcinoma of a known primary, either in a liver or a lymph node, we have a choice where we can do all these traditional tests like immunohistochemistry to try and tell if it's coming from the colon or the lung or a different body part, or we can use that tissue to run a comprehensive genomic profiling and tell you what actionable driver mutations might be present within that carcinoma. Absolutely. When you have evidence now to say that it's not just a good idea, but it improves survival, I think you can really further that cause for adopting that as a standard of care approach. So do you think the same approach can be translated to patients with other malignancies? I'm a GI oncologist, and so a big part of my practice is colorectal cancer. And in colorectal cancer, we recognize that biomarker-driven therapies improve outcomes for our patients. In fact, very recently, we developed Canadian consensus guidelines highlighting that what are minimally accepted standards for biomarker testing in colorectal cancer. When we developed these guidelines, and you were part of that initiative, Brandon, we thought we were restating the obvious because there'd been many years since this evidence had been available. But there's been some recent studies, like patient surveys that have highlighted that there's still a huge gap in terms of what's happening on the ground in real world. In our practice for colorectal cancer, we don't just test for RAS or BRAF. We also do 
comprehensive profiling through NGS, recognizing that there are more and more actionable targets that may be tumor agnostic, maybe not just specific to colorectal cancer that can also affect treatment choice and outcome for patients. We really need to think about an approach that will allow for comprehensive profiling in all patients, in almost an all-comers approach. And the NTRAC example is such a good one because it was really the first tumor agnostic indication and in Canada, the first funded therapy in this space. And the big question became, how are we going to find these patients who, for many common cancers, are the needle in a haystack? To miss one patient is a major sin of omission because we know that the benefit of targeted therapy for those kinds of driver aberrations can be very material for patients in terms of responses and survival. I do agree with that very much. When we talk about comprehensive profiling, we want to find not just mutations, but things like amplification events, which would include HER2 amplification, which can be relevant, and gene fusions, which are typically found by RNA sequencing. So we want to make sure that it includes the different major classes of mutations all in a single test. So the power of that is that by applying it on a large scale to all the patients for their standard of care, we'll be able to pick out those needles in the haystack that might get a targeted inhibitor like an NTRAC inhibitor. To me, what we need is a shift in mindset. So we're not just looking at what a tumor looks like or what body part it came from, but when we sign out a new diagnosis of cancer, we want to say what it looks like, where it came from, and what's driving this tumor. So NGS really has to be baked in to be a part of the diagnostic process and not an ancillary test or an add-on that occurs later. Shirley, what do you think that oncologists could be doing to help make sure that all their patients are profiled with comprehensive genomic profiling before they get started? on their treatment. I think a big part of it is education and sharing the evidence. So using examples like the Capisco trial that demonstrate that this approach has value for patients. Major societies like ESMO have also come up with recommendations for the use of NGS for patients with metastatic solid tumors. And they provide a hierarchical approach. They talk about high value disease sites where it absolutely should be done and others where there's an opportunity. And the nice thing about the ESMO guidelines is they also remind us that as academic and research organizations, in order to be be able to identify patients for trials, this profiling is really important. So I think it really is, again, about continuing to advocate for it, build the evidence and engage our patients so that they can also avail themselves of opportunities for testing, even if it means trying to do that outside the public system. As a medical oncologist, what would be your top recommendations or needs in terms of leveraging CGP into precision treatments? I think from a clinical perspective, what's most important to me is knowing what's on the test. Some panels are 50 genes, some panels are 90 genes, some panels are 500 genes. So to know what's covered, it's important for me to know that the results will be available in a timely manner. So the turnaround time is really key to inform treatment decision-making. And it's important for me to receive the result in a way that I can understand it. So a report that clearly outlines for me, these are the findings and this clinically actionable or not. Maybe I could ask you, Brandon, from a pathologist perspective, what would be your top three for best practice? I think they're the same. Maybe I'll say them back in a different order though, because to me, the speed is the most important. If you're in a center that has a turnaround time that's exceeding two weeks, some centers in Canada are taking three, four, even five weeks to get these results back. You as a pathologist can really give a head start to the process because you might see this patient two weeks before they come for their medical consult. So if you're able to start testing, you can really give a big boost to the process. Patients presenting with diseases like carcinoma of unknown primary become sicker and sicker with each week they wait. And that two weeks may be the difference 
chance of them getting a treatment or not. So that speed is really critical. And talking to your oncologist is the best thing you can do so that you know when they want you to initiate reflex testing versus when they might want you to hold off and wait. I think that helps with the other point that you mentioned, Charlene, which is the communication on the reports. So if you're writing things like C.1799T aerosine A, instead of BRAF B600E, it makes it harder for oncologists to understand that. So, you know, having that open dialogue and always refining and revising your practice to meet this changing landscape is really great. Well, thank you so much, Charlene, for a great discussion. And I hope this was educational to the listeners out there. Thank you so much. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.